Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. In the book of Acts, we see how the Holy Spirit is alive and very busy, growing the early church by leaps and bounds. The disciples are supposed to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they are living into that mission every day. In today's first reading, an angel of the Lord acts as a divine GPS telling Philip exactly where to go next. Philip listens to the Spirit and ends up meeting someone he probably would have never crossed paths with otherwise, an Ethiopian court official. To Philip, this stranger is different from him in almost every possible way. First, he's Ethiopian, so he's from a different place, a different culture. He's traveled quite a ways to get here. We can imagine that he has much darker skin than Philip. We're also told that he's a eunuch. And while there are a number of possible reasons for this, including being born this way, given his unique position in the queen's court, it's most likely that he was castrated by those in power. Eunuchs can't have children, and there were laws in place that prevented them from becoming king. So once he suffered this violence, this sterilization, he was no longer considered a threat and could hold this trusted position near the queen. The book Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians by Austin Hartke includes a chapter with an insightful reflection on this text, which has really informed the way that I read the story. The author reflects on the Ethiopian's officials' in-betweenness. This person doesn't fit into the strict boxes of male or female He's neither Jew nor Gentile. He might be what is referred to as a God-fearer, someone who has ascribed to the Jewish faith, though not being born among them. 
The book of Leviticus prevents eunuchs from entering the temple. And although the prophet Isaiah announces welcome to the eunuchs, there's no evidence that this welcome was ever practiced. Even if he weren't a eunuch, he wouldn't have been able to enter the inner sanctum because he was neither Jewish by birth or a full convert. So when Philip meets this official, Hartke writes, this person had just traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, only to find gates and laws barring his way. He had to turn around and head home. And it doesn't take too much imagination to feel the way that he probably felt. Frustrated, disappointed, confused, rejected, and alone. He knew God's word, but he longed for a connection, for a place to belong. He longed for God and for God's people. Madeline and I were walking along our road recently, and we finally met some of our neighbors. And it turns out there's actually a little boy just about Madeline's age that lives at the end of our road. He gave her a daffodil, and Madeline loved it. She carried it around with her for the rest of the day. She placed it next to her on the table as she ate. She brought it up to her room that night as we got ready for bed. And then she placed it right by her lamp before I put her in the crib. Now, in the morning, the daffodil, which wasn't looking great by the end of the day, was now shriveled up into almost nothing. Madeline looked at it and asked one of her favorite questions. What's that? I said, that's your daffodil. Don't you remember you carried it around with you all day yesterday? Madeline studied it like she didn't believe me. And then she looked up at me, eyes wide, and asked one of her other favorite questions. What happened? Then we had a nice conversation about what flowers need in order to stay healthy. They need their roots in soil, water, and sunlight. Disconnected from these things, they can't live long at all. In our gospel lesson, when Jesus teaches that he is the true vine and we are the branches, we learn that apart from God, separated from God's love and forgiveness, teaching and presence, we would wither. We can't live. We can't grow. We can't bear fruit and flourish when we're disconnected from God's grace. When the Ethiopian stranger asks Philip, what is to prevent me from being baptized? I think he already knows the answer. If this God is everything that Philip says God is, then nothing should prevent him from being baptized. 
from being welcomed. He's asking because usually there's a catch. He's used to being almost accepted, but not quite. Knowing that throughout his life he hasn't quite fit in any of the boxes. And Philip doesn't hesitate. After all, the Holy Spirit has sent him here to meet this man. And so they pull over the chariot, and he is baptized into the body of Christ, fully included, just as he is. That's an important part of this story, that after being baptized, the transformation is internal. Nothing has changed externally. All the things that made this man different are still present. And yet he is fully accepted into the body of Christ exactly as he is. He is a beloved child of God exactly as he is. Finally, he belongs. And when Philip's work was complete, we're told that the Holy Spirit snatched him up and sent him on another mission, as if the author of Acts wants to make it absolutely 100% clear that this was not Philip's welcome, but this was the Holy Spirit's welcome. Author Austin Hartke says that this is the story of two conversions. It is the eunuch who is baptized, but it's Philip who has to change his metric for who's in and who's out. And even though the story is 2,000 years old, a third conversion is still taking place. Hartke asks, will the church eventually realize that when God's love overpowers all human distinctions, nothing can prevent us? from full inclusion. It's a lesson we're still learning. This third conversion of learning to welcome others the way that God welcomes us. Even though we're a reconciling in Christ's church, even though we have a wonderful welcome statement, even though I'm sure each one of us would consider ourselves welcoming We're not perfect. There's always work to do. And some of that work is overcoming a past where certain types of people like those in the LGBTQIA community who didn't fit into society's typical narrow boxes were excluded from congregations. And we might be welcoming now, But that's a big history to overcome and heal from. The church still needs to build up trust that this is a safe space to be yourself, exactly as God made you without needing to change. We're always learning about ourselves, and we're always learning about others and about the needs of others, like the needs of the very old and the very young, of members and of newcomers. The needs of people who attend worship alone or those with kids who love to explore. People who look around and would see 
a bunch of people who look like them, people who might look around and feel immediately different or other based on skin color or language, accommodating bodies of different sizes, shapes, and physical abilities or disabilities. As we learn, we can grow and adapt in small ways and maybe in some bigger ways too. Looking at the language we use in worship, our worship space, our practices, even our own attitudes. In the past year, even though God was with us at every moment, abiding in us, we've experienced a little of what it means to be separated from God's presence. Because we had to stay apart from God's house and God's people, which can feel like being separated from God, too. And though we kept apart for good reason and we stayed connected the very best we could, I still think we're all feeling a little bit withered, a little tired, with a little less life than before. It's part of why we're longing to come back together so that we can feel whole again. So as we start to come back together, outdoors at first, next Sunday, and then moving inside when it's time, it is such an important opportunity to reflect on how we do things, why we do things, how we are welcoming others, and how we can do even better. Because what we've learned this year, what we've felt this past year, what we learn from this story of baptism and from our gospel lesson is that we need connection. It's really, really hard to do this faith thing alone. We need each other. We need to be in community. We need to be with God's people and be fed with Christ's body. And we don't want a single person who is seeking Jesus, who is seeking a place at the table, who is seeking the waters of baptism, seeking connection and community. We don't want any individual turned away or to feel unwelcome or cut off or unloved. We want every person the Holy Spirit pushes us to encounter to feel the very same welcome that we've experienced. For every person to know that they have a place at this table, that these waters are available to all people, that there is nothing to prevent them from being baptized, that there is a place here, that they are not only welcomed into the body of Christ, but that the body of Christ is incomplete, without them. May God work within us and through us so that all people can know and experience God's profound love and have a place to belong. Amen.